This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he's the Diane Weiss to my Candace Bergen, Perry Seibert. <laughs> oh, I'll take the two Oscars. That's I, good. Yes. I, thank you for that. That's that's very nice. You can have the Murphy Brown Emmy. That, that's I, I'll very be, I'm good. happy that with that. Out. I'm happy with that. Yes, um, you should be. So uh, every time I say Diane Weiss, though, are you a uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine watcher? I have not. I would. I just. It's one of the ones I just haven't watched yet. I gladly would. There's nothing about it that turns me off. And right. I, I, I didn't even know she was on it. She's not. She's not. But okay. They do a cold, like you know, like every show they do a cold open, and they're kind of notorious for great cold opens. And I will send you online one of the best ones they've done has to do with Diane Weist, and it is great. <laughs> and I will butcher it if I do it here, but I will send that to you offline. Sounds um, good. My first pick for the matchup was actually going to be the Adam Brody to my Christopher Mintz Plus, but uh, <laughs> I don't think either of us wanted to. Be. I mean, I would I would take Adam Brody. He's he's fine, but uh, oh yeah, of, of the two, yeah. absolutely. Uh, uh, Yes, especially in the context. Yes, I, I was a Seth Cohen fan, so uh, so we're good with that. Um, we are doing another 2020 catch-up this week. We're going to be talking about three movies this week with highly regarded lead performances by actresses. We're going to talk about Promising Young Woman, Pieces of a Woman, and Let Them All Talk. But first, Perry, what have you been watching? Okay, Chris. So we don't do this often in the what we're watching thing, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna veer us off track just a little away from my normal uh, stuff that I talk about. We had a really uh, nice diversion last time we talked a digression about westerns, and I uh, I sat down to watch Once Upon a Time in the West, okay, the Sergio Leone western, which is on Criterion through the end of the month. I hadn't uh, I I'd never seen it, uh, and um. This was after revisiting Once Upon a Time in America last year, uh, and about 45 minutes into the movie, I it, it hit me, and it took, I guess, 47 years to just finally accept, I don't like Sergio Leone. Oh. And I'm not saying he's bad. I don't think they're bad movies. I just realized, these don't play for me. <laughs> I just don't respond to the style at all. And it was a nice moment of maturity for me. <laughs> you, you have these moments where, you know, there are these great names in the history of film. And sometimes you just accept, no, it just doesn't work for me. And the fault is all mine. I, again, I am not, this is not a, this is not a rip on those movies in the slightest. Uh, it, 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 it is just a, such a strong stylistic decision. And it just, Kind of alienates me and leaves me cold. I realize in every every single time, there's not a single Leon film that I I really like a lot. <laughs> they're, I'm, they're all fine. I'm not as well versed in Leon, but I I the I, I've seen a fistful of dollars and I've had kind of the same reaction. Like it just sits there. It's fine. It's it's me. It's not him. Yeah. So, but but I, and that's another one. Like Once Upon a Time in the West has been another one where I've been like, I should really catch up with this. This is something you know. It's a landmark movie. And then I look at the runtime and I'm like, but life is short, and <laughs> you know. And and I'm not, you know, I, ha I I'm not an easy sell on westerns. And I'm like, eventually, but life is short. 
but I, I'm glad to hear you had your moment of clarity, though. I'm sure there are directors. Exactly. There are directors like that with me, and I'm sure everyone has them. Um, I'm going with one that is a lot more recent. It actually is something I did not even know existed in a uh, movie format until this weekend when Ooh. it was put on Hulu. And this is this is not a straight narrative. It is a filmed performance. Uh, it is Derek Del Guadio's In and of Itself. Have you heard of this, Perry? I do not know of this. Okay. Um, Derek Del Guadio is kind of, he is a, he's a conceptual magician is the way IMDb set, puts it. <laughs> I would, I would describe him as he is a, magi- a magician. He is a monologuist um, and maybe even like therapist. Uh, he did this show called In and of Itself in New York that ran for, I think 550 shows on Broadway, uh, directed by Frank Oz. And I had heard so much about this except for what it actually was. I knew it had to do with issues of identity, that when the audience went in, they had to pick out a card that said, I am, and it gave them like all sorts of choices. I'm an optimist. I'm a leader. I'm, I'm a mother. I'm whatever. And all I knew is they picked those cards and everyone seemed to leave the theater crying. <laughs> and it was one of those things I had heard talked about a lot. And all, the description was always, I can't describe what this is. You have to see it for yourself. It is one of the most amazing experiences I've had. Um, so I was a little skeptical when I saw that they had actually filmed it because I'm like, you're not going to recapture that. And I do have to say, I cannot tell you what this is. You have to see it for yourself. <laughs> but I watched this last night and it combines elements of a magic act. There's a little bit of card tricks. There's illusions. But it's also this long monologue um, just about ideas of identity and the roles we choose to play for ourselves. And it involves the audience in such a deep way. And there are two moments in this movie where I think it, it's one of the greatest tricks I've ever seen. You see people revealed for who they are and what that impact is on them. <laughs> and I, that's really all I can say, except you have to see it. It, it is the, there. There are moments in here where my jaw dropped because of the illusion, but the emotional impact was so hard. That I found myself choking. Um, it, it is. It is a really striking uh, bit of theater that that somehow plays on screen very well. Uh, Frank Oz directs this, just like he directed the show, and. For the most part, it's just one man on a stage in front of an audience. Every once in a while, there might be a little illustration to bring one of his points to life. But um, somehow, the uh, the amazement of the magic and then the emotion of some of its big moments hits so hard. And uh, yeah, it, it is fantastic. Um, and I feel like I've talked about it for a few minutes, and I still don't think I could spoil it because <laughs> you have to sit and watch this and experience what it is and it is fantastic it's uh streaming on hulu right now it's short it's an hour and 30 minutes you can be done and then go catch up with freaks and geeks right after that and uh (laughs) but yeah it's derek del guadio's in and of itself i highly recommend this it is fantastic that sounds great so we're going to talk about some other recent releases uh some things we saw end of last year i saw some of these the beginning of this year and these are Promising Young Woman, Pieces of a Woman, 
and let them all talk. And Perry, where would you like to start on this? Oh, let's start with Promising Young Woman. This is the debut of a, as a, a writer-director of uh, Emerald Fennel, who's best known for creating Killing Eve, which is a show I need to catch up with. Me too. Uh, I, I Because I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. If for no other reason, I wanted to watch it because she was a part of it. But yes, uh, and so I was very intrigued by this. The setup, uh, it, has, it has a great opening 10 minutes. The setup is superb. We see three guys, uh, three guys seem to be in their mid-30s, early 30s in a, in a club. Uh, and they see this uh, woman who seems to be alone, uh, uh, nearly passed out uh, against a wall in a booth over by the wall. Uh, one of the young men decides that it, he's going to go over and help her get home, uh, played by the aforementioned Mr. Brody, and uh, uh, gets her home and then... He starts hitting on her and you realize he's not that great a guy. And then suddenly she comes completely into focus. <laughs> and uh, and that's where the scene ends. Uh, beautifully so. Uh, uh, and so you are intrigued about what this is. This, this, so this balances some very different tonal things. This is – this plays like a uh, – a, it, 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 it isn't, but it, it puts you in mind of old exploitation uh, revenge thrillers, mm-hmm. uh, I think purposefully with a very uh, – a, a, a almost comic bookish edge uh, on some of the visuals, especially the, especially the font of the credits. Yeah. Uh, uh, along with tr- very much feeling like the first film <laughs> – it's not, but it feels like the first film of the Me Too movement – it feels like the first one that has absorbed the first wave of that in Hollywood and said, okay, we're going to tell this story now. Uh, and for that, it has, it has a little more meat on it than just a, just your normal revenge, uh, revenge story. Uh, I don't want to see too much more cause I think it's really great how it's set up and how it's put together. Um, I will say that Carrie Mulligan, uh, knocks it out of the park as always. She's superb here as the lead. Uh, as you slowly realize the amount of pain that this character is in, uh, and it becomes as it goes on less cartoony, which is another interesting. Uh, it's an interesting way to hook you into the material and then sink you deeper into something you don't know quite where you are. Uh, Bo Burnham shows up in a fantastic supporting part. Uh, turns out the guy can also act. He can't. Not only can he write and direct, as we found out with eighth grade a few years ago, he's really good here. Uh, and in ways, again, we can't really talk about, can we, Chris? <laughs> no, I, I mean, this is definitely a movie you don't want to have spoiled for you um, because it starts in a way, like you said, it feels like one thing and it's not that thing. It's it's more thoughtful and more aware of what it you know, it's not just a sick thrill. There is. There are things on this movie's mind. Um, yeah, I, I had never, I, I've never seen Killing Eve either. Um, there are many movies that come out every year with uh, first-time directors, and I guess the hope is always, oh yeah, that was good. I, I guess I'd see what they see next, what they do next. But there are some directors who have a de- debut where you're just like, I need to see whatever they do next now. <laughs> And that's really I like it is a striking debut for the, for Emerald Fennel. Like it is a movie like you said it's very poppy. It the the thought that came to mind is it looks like bubblegum taste. Is is what I thought when I saw this. It is a very brightly colored movie 
very, very poppy, which is a really nice kind of, uh, it clashes up against the tone, which gets really dark sometimes. Um, and it does teeter up to that edge of exploitation, but it's more about trauma. It's more interested in the trauma the character's recovering from. And yeah, I, I agree about Carrie Mulligan. I love her anytime she shows up in anything. And I think this is one of my favorite performances I've seen by her. And it's it's a very complex performance because she does have to kind of walk that exploitation edge and be dangerous and kind of keep you on edge. But she also is not underselling the very real emotions of this character. Um, and again, to say more would ruin it, but it is, it, it's really great performance. Um, and it's, it's actually full of great performances. Fennel learned, uh, you know, I would get a sense, even if I didn't know her background, on Killing Eve, that this this feels like someone who is uh, in the best way, you know, has worked in television. It is populated with these great one or two scene characters that are played by superb performers. Connie Britton's mm-hmm. got a great scene in the movie. Uh, the the all of the parents are superb, uh, uh, and it's 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 so it's fun in that way. You keep getting to see people who are very good, and they're given very good things to do it's it's a it's a really strong first film like you said and there's nothing there's nothing i like better than a really good first film from anybody yeah yeah i really i i liked this a lot um allison breeze in this who i'm always happy when she shows up in anything same here the thing i liked too was um the use of comedic actors to kind of play the 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 men who she learns you know kind of goes after in this or who are set up to be the better or worse, the villains in this, they, they don't go for the, you know, the model route, the, you know, they don't bring in Chris Evans or Chris Pine or one of the other Chris's. Oh, they do bring in a Chris, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a Chris, but yeah, there's, there's Christopher Mintz plots. There's uh Adam Brody, who we talked about, Bo Burnham. And what I like is it's, it is like you said, this movie to digest the me too movement. And what I like is it's not the, it, it it's not taking on the smarmy douchebag who knows you know you know he can win people over it's taking on the nice guys or people who hide behind that veil of niceness and what i like about using the comedians is it a lot you know you're you're sympathetic toward them initially because you like these actors yes but then they can also play the patheticness so well mm-hmm and it's fantastic. Sam Richardson is in it too. I, I love Sam Richardson from Detroiters, um, and from Detroit. But uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, there was a start at the at the start of this movie. I thought it was going one direction with who Cassie was and what she was doing. And then when it was revealed what she was doing, I was so much more intrigued because it didn't take the shallow blood-soaked revenge thriller way out it was something a lot more emotional and and thoughtful and it lended her character a lot more depth i i yeah i enjoyed this i gosh i i wish i could talk more about it but i don't want to ruin the surprise for people <laughs> um, well but when we first uh communicated about this film you had expressed some reservations mm-hmm. about the ending yes i i will say and that. i'm I, curious if you have if you have if that has if you've slept on that and that's changed for you, or if you still, if you still feel that. 
Um, I remember when I saw it, and it was, you know, it was a movie that I watched in one of those deluges where you're just pouring through screeners. So you kind of learn to be suspect of that emotion when that happens, when a movie doesn't quite hit, uh, if it's, if you're watching it in between, like, 20 other ones. Um, but I still remember the way I felt and thinking, for me, the last 10 minutes don't quite gel. I feel like there's some tonal shifts. Not that it turns darker, but I feel like the balance is a little wavier. Like they're not holding, it's not holding the film together as much. Like it, it feels like it got away from Emerald Fennel at the end of that. Um, there's, there's kind of a slight shift where things are played a little, a little too over the top in the humor for me and the way it treats some of the characters. And it didn't quite land for me, but I am also willing to say this is a movie I want to see again. Because I could totally be wrong on that too. Um, knowing where the movie goes and seeing it again, that might be that might hold together better for me on a second view. And it wasn't enough to say this is a bad film because it's yeah it, it very narrowly missed out of my top ten list because it's for for you know ninety percent of its runtime I was riveted to the screen and not turning away. Felt like it stumbled in the last ten, not where it, not with where it goes, but how the tone kind of plays out. Um, and, and I can tell you more about that offline, but uh, the, the other people have to see it. Um, but yeah, yeah, it just little stumble, nothing, nothing huge, nothing to ruin the movie for me. And I will just say that it played for me. I had, I had okay. no problem with the ending. I, I thought it was, I think it's a very, uh, I, I, I think it's a, I think it is an interesting choice to be sure. Uh, but I, I like it. <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think it what it I think it circles back to the tone at the beginning of the movie actually, and I think it pays all that off. I think we get I think we get returned to uh, we get returned to a movie after having starting in a movie and getting deeper and deeper into something very real. And I don't mind that in this instance. I think I think it's controlled enough that it works. But there, I, I can understand your problem. I can understand your reaction. I don't want to say problem. I can understand your reaction to it. it or anybody having that reaction to it. it. It literally comes down to like one shot where it bothered me enough to like be like, oh, I, I don't think I buy that. And that's what I keep thinking back to is one shot, which I'll tell you about later. Um, but I do also keep thinking about the scene with Connie Britton, which again, no spoilers. So I won't say what it is. But that is a moment where you have no clue where this movie's going, what it's doing, and the way it plays out <laughs> ran me through about five different emotions in ten minutes. Uh-huh. And it, it is so good. Um, and yeah, where has Carrie Mulligan been? Has she? I haven't seen her in things in years, and I don't know if that's just because she's been laying low, or if you know she's just been you know smart enough not to take the Star Wars, Marvel, DC <laughs> contracts that I'm sure have been offered to her. Off the top of my head, I, I can't. I, I can only think of all the stuff I love her in. And you're right; none of it's been in the last two or three years. So, uh, you know what? I'm looking at her. I'm looking at her IMDb, and yeah, a lot of stuff that I haven't seen. A lot of TV, it looks like. But she was in Mudbound, which is a movie I really did like. Oh yeah, I and yep, she was. I completely forgot she was in that. Yeah, but... <laughs> that's not. I'm not knocking. That's that's not a comment on her. She's just not the focus of that movie. I loved Wildlife, the movie she did with Jake Gyllenhaal, directed by Paul Dano. I, she, I mean, I like the movie. I love her in it. That's a spectacular performance if you have not seen it. I have not seen that, um, but I did really like her in um, Shame 
which is a movie that I have otherwise forgotten because it was not a happy experience watching that movie. But uh, yeah, whatever. She's great in everything she shows up in. I, I really she like is. Her. She's superb um, in, in Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Um, and then Bo Burnham again. Yeah. I you know I loved Eighth Grade. I did not know he could also serve as the romantic lead in a movie and that's kind of how he plays but he has to do a little more than that and he's he's really good as well i mean you have clancy brown and jennifer coolidge as her parents who are both great in small scenes and and molly shannon that's right molly shannon molly shannon shows up in a brief scene and yeah it's i highly recommend this movie um i it's getting a bit of a push on on demand right now and i hope People are checking it out because I, I do think I, I feel like had everything that happened in 2020 not happened, this would have been the movie that everyone was talking about as being the of the moment confronting, you know, the issues of what's going on at that point. Because, I you know, had there been no pandemic and everything else, we were still talking quite a bit about the Me Too movement at the end of 2019 and I feel like this is one that would have been top of mind on a lot of people's lists. Well, just the the variety review alone would have set off the conversation you would expect the film to trigger. And the mm-hmm. fact is, we're just not talking about films as a monolithic cultural thing at this point. Yeah. So that conversation didn't happen. But it should have. <laughs> and hopefully it still might. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about Promising Young Woman? No, I think that's, I think that's, a, I think that's a fair assessment of all of it. So you got both of us saying, go see it. It is on On Demand right now. Check it out. It is it is worth your time. You will enjoy it. Uh, so the next movie is Pieces of a Woman, and it is streaming now on Netflix. This is Cornell Mandruscu's English-language debut. This stars Vanessa Kirby as a woman who is coping with the, uh, the aftermath of a tragic home birth. Uh, her and her husband, Shia LaBeouf, uh, they find themselves drifting apart and finding their own ways to cope, while Vanessa must also deal with an ailing and difficult mother and a trial she'd rather not endure. Um, Perry, we had this on the list to talk about. I almost did not make it through the first 30 minutes of this movie. Um, <laughs> not because they're bad. Um, the first 30 minutes of this movie, which depict the you know the home births that, that sets all this off, uh, it is one of the most intimate, emotional, and arduous things I have ever experienced. Um, <laughs> it is, it is a, it is a ringer. Um, it is up close with people, not leaving them as they go through a you know an experience that has them on a emotional roller coaster from start to finish. And by the end of this, I was like, I don't know if I can handle the rest of this movie. Because it is so powerful, that opening scene. Um, and then this is a movie that, for me, did not live up to those first 30 minutes. It it kind of meandered for the next hour and a half. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, we can talk more about it. I think Vanessa Kirby is definitely someone to, uh, to talk about. Her performance is worth talking about. But um, I just want to start that off by saying this is a movie that did not live up to those first 30 minutes. And I wanted to know if you felt the same way. I will say that I think the first 30 minutes are maybe the best 30 minutes of movie I've seen from all of last year. It's, it's stunning. 
uh, especially about halfway through when you realize, oh, my word, this has pretty much all been one take, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it is really, really, uh, you're watching behavior in an intense moment. It is not overly written. It's just observing. And it is uh, it is beautifully acted. It is brilliantly directed. <laughs> um, I get to shout out so much love for Molly Parker, who's a character actress from Canada that I have loved for decades. She plays the midwife. Uh, she's wonderful here in the whole movie uh, and in that sequence. And um, it stuck with me a little longer because I really liked uh, the meandering. I, I like meandering. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I wish more films would meander, Chris. <laughs> I'm good with things just taking the time and watching people behave if you're writing behavior and you're not writing dramatic scenes which is what's going on for for i i give the movie almost halfway actually in fact i can tell you the exact scene where i went oh you broke the tone and it's the first giant confrontation she has with her mother which is at i think the i think it's before the birthday party or maybe it is the birthday party it's been a while i saw this a while ago but it's they they have this head-on confrontation after the whole movie has been oblique and everybody dancing around what they're really feeling. Mm-hmm. And they both let out everything. And it's just this giant exposition dump. And it's like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Oh, stop. No. Oh, you did it. Okay. And I don't – I don't uh, – I, it did not ruin the movie for me. It makes it – not as great, but I, I think it's a really strong piece of work, even after even after the tone is just, you know, a, as soon as they violate that trust, I, I still really enjoyed watching the performances, uh, even if I was disappointed that the script starts to – it's just that the script starts to then take on a familiar form. Yes, yes. And it didn't have that to that point. And so it's that always disappointing thing of, oh, now you're just telling a story. I'm not watching behavior. <laughs> I'm watching something play out that has to play out. Uh, and yeah, that's disappointing, but not nearly enough to say, don't see this, especially for that first 30 minutes. It is, it's really good. And I'm once again, forced to confront the fact that given material, Shia LaBeouf can act. I forget he, this. I forget it every time out. He's, he's very yeah. good here. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. Um, Vanessa Kirby, I think, is fantastic throughout the movie. I think she she is great from beginning to end. I enjoyed her performance. But in those first 30 minutes, I was shocked to learn she hasn't given birth before. Because, you know, I, I, I and I know it's, you know, it's acting. But that it feels so natural. Like, her performance in those first 30 minutes, like, she plays it so naturally. There's not the usual histrionics or anything it, it feels like someone oh she knows what she knows what this feels like she knows what this is and it's very intimate between her and Shia LaBeouf in those first 20 minutes mm-hmm. um and and I think I think yeah he's very good in this he has to take a different journey than her his character is dealing with the fallout of this in a different way and that's the rift between them um and he's really good and he does what he can, even as the script, like you said, it starts ladling on so many contrivances and, and and just complications for his character that I I it, it I didn't need that. I I could have just done a whole movie with the two of them in one room trying to cope with the fallout of this. 
Uh, yeah. I, I didn't need the other things it saddles him with, which I think don't allow him to just act naturally. He has to, you know, go with all those navigations. Um, there is a subplot that I'll, I, you know, there's a subplot in which one of the characters uh, deals with infidelity. And that there's a way in which that could make sense to me and would be a way to show this character coping. But the way it's done just issues like the script logistics for that ladle on such a weird complication that the movie doesn't really even follow up on that. It just, th- there's a sequence where kind of everyone's in the same room at one point and it never does anything with that. I'm just like, Oh, that's, that's just weird. Um, but I do like Shia LaBeouf in this. I, I think him and Kirby sell the distance between them really well. So well that I didn't need all the shots of an unfinished bridge that the movie <laughs> keeps coming back. Because that was the other thing I had with this is the visual, the, the symbolism in this is foggy bridges, unfinished bridges, and wilting flowers and yeah. seeds. And yeah. it is so on the nose that it could have tested me for COVID. But well, it's... it's but and it would work if the script had stayed as oblique as it does mm-hmm. for the first half. That's the really the yeah. problem. I, I don't want to blame that because it is. Yeah, it's heavy handed and obvious, but that's because the writing makes it so. If it just trusted you to know to let you know, yep, this is the signpost. Signpost. Visually, this is where we are at this point between them. And I like the fact that you know. I, that's fine with me. I don't, I, don't, I don't mind a strong literary conceit in a movie. <laughs> and that's absolutely a strong literary conceit, especially since we should make it plain that it's Shia LaBeouf's character's job to build that bridge. That's that's what's going on in the movie. It's not, you know, just there because it's a bridge. They they at least work it in. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a film that is very close to being a John Cassavetes movie. And for those of us who really like John Cassavetes movies, it's nice to see someone get close to doing that again. And, and it, it doesn't does happen get... often. It does get close because another scene that I feel like gets the closest to uh, capturing the intimacy and just the discomfort of that birth scene. There is a sex scene in this movie, an attempted sex scene that like to me, that is where the movie comes closest to selling the the gulf between these characters and the Mm -hmm. way it's framed. Like with that birth scene, you are in the room with them up close to their face the entire time. And this has a sequence where they're attempting to kind of heal that or just go through the motions. And when it moves to the bedroom, the camera doesn't follow into the bedroom. It stays outside the door. And that, that to me, sold the, uh, the gulf that existed between them. And this whole scene is just where that home birth scene was so, like, them, you know, working together and being in this as a team. This is them both fighting each other and trying to like acquiesce to each other. And you just, it sells that they are not connecting there. There's mm-hmm. something broken there. Um, and, and yeah. And I think Ellen Burstyn, uh, who plays the mom, she could be, she, she's really good. I just, I feel like she has some, some, uh, there's some developments with her character that I feel like they kind of just bring up when it's convenient. And then at the end, there's a moment where they linger on that and it, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of moving, but the rest of the movie is just kind of shoved it aside to deal with the little. Plot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It gets close. There are moments where it works. I think the trial, I forgot about the trial for like an hour um, yes. and, and then it comes back. 
But I think when it happens, uh, Molly Parker, like you said, is fantastic in those scenes. Um, she gets to have a reaction shot near the end when her character's fate is kind of decided. That is, it, it's a fantastic reaction. She sells that. Yes. And there's a monologue that I, I still go back and forth whether it works, like a, a testimony on the stand that I'm not quite sure if yeah. it works for me. No. <laughs> but Vanessa Kirby believes it works. And she's she's good saying the words that I think are beneath her. Yeah, it's I don't even want to say it's a badly written speech. It's just it, the scene feels unnecessary mm-hmm. and like a scene as opposed to actual behavior. Yeah, <laughs> which is as we're saying is sort of where the film doesn't quite finish out where it starts. I think I I think I I think I like it more than you do. Uh, I think you do. I'm not as I'm not as betrayed by the. I'm just sort of bummed out. <laughs> I don't feel like oh you ruined it. I just feel like oh 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 I can't say it's like the best hour and a half of the movie I've seen. It's the best thirty minutes of a movie I've seen, which is a, a high praise. I, I think it's yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. I'm glad it's on Netflix. It's I saw it. Um, I actually saw it really early. I saw it like back in the beginning of December, and it's it's stuck with me. That first half hour doesn't doesn't leave. It's, it's you will you will be returning to it in your head. Yeah. Believe me for 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 a while. And I will echo what you said. I think it is worth seeing for those first thirty minutes, and then you know it's not like the film totally you know, craps the bed after that. It, it, yeah, it, there are moments that I think like, like the sex scene, like some of the, uh, some of the confrontations they get to have, it, it, it shows you what it could be. And then the script has to kind of butt in and say, well, you know, what if we threw in infidelity and addiction and Alzheimer's and it never knows to do with all, knows what to do with all of that. I would have preferred a much more simpler film. That was just these characters coping and you know it complicated it but there are still things worth seeing the performances are very strong um and and when it works it's raw and it's intimate like few other films i saw last year and it's on netflix it's not going to cost you anything to watch it <laughs> so and, and i don't i don't know like i this this is a little digression do you ever discount a film because it ends up on netflix not at this point I go back especially, and forth. Especially, if, well, it depends, okay? Look, if this is something that, this this cuts both ways. If it's a, if it's a scrappy little indie that, you know, that got made and then Netflix bought it, no. If it's a, if it's something that Netflix produced, that they actually put money behind and said, we're going to make this, this cuts both ways. If it's a little film, um... I'm probably going to give it more leeway, but with their big splashy, you know, David Fincher, Martin Scorsese, Alfonso Cuaron films, I'm at the point where I realize they are like, they are truly giving them money to do things that nobody else would, (laughs) which sets off a flag of, okay, well, is it reasonable that nobody else would do this? (laughs) Are they, are they funding, you know, films that are completely obviously uncommercial uh yeah yeah and that can be a really good thing except that i don't think they're funding them because they want to see them i think they're funding them because then people will check out netflix (laughs) as opposed to you know funding them hoping enough people will pay ten dollars to see it and that that i'm not comfortable there yet and that's my own prejudices growing up when i grew up 
and not being comfortable with streaming services controlling everything right now. But no, I don't automatically ding it just for being Netflix. I'll ding television way more <laughs> likely for being just on Netflix at this point than a movie. How's that for how's that for my 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 nasty little snarky remark at Netflix for this episode? Yeah, I I I don't know what it is with me. Like I think it's growing up and have realizing that TV and direct to video movies had a certain stigma to them for you know for years they probably still do tv movies direct to video especially that's where you got you know the crappy sequels or or whatnot um and it's weird so i'll see a movie that you know someone's talking about and i'm like oh where can i see it oh it's a, it's a netflix movie and my interest i immediately gets guarded like oh it's a netflix movie and i don't know why i think that because <laughs> in 2019 um, the Irishman was, you know, my number one movie of that year. We've talked about that. And um, Marriage Story was on my <laughs> list. And those are both Netflix movies. Uh, they did The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which I really like. Um, it, it's funny. There's just this weird, it's a hesitancy for me to get around to watching it. Um, and I think it has to do with how much they put out and how much of it is designed to be this down the middle hit. Uh, and those are the movies that usually fall flat for me, like when it's, you know, Will Smith fighting orcs or something like yes. that. But but I do feel like and, and I do feel like there's a whole other conversation about Netflix not wanting to promote these and these movies getting lost. And, you know, they're part of the conversation for a week before they go away. But then I also think, yeah, this film, which I have issues with, I think it's flawed. But how many people were going to get the chance to see Pieces of a Woman and see Vanessa Kirby's performance or those first 30 minutes? Right. Uh, you know, no one else was going to have access to it. They, would ha- they weren't going to make an out-of-the-way trip to, you know, their local art theater necessarily. And here, it's in their home. They might give it a chance. And, uh, yeah, it was just a thought that crossed my mind. But um, I'm glad people will have the chance to see it. And I, I am very interested to see what uh, Mandrusco does next because I think there are – when this film hits, it hits hard, and that's yeah. more interesting than a movie that just kind of hits halfway the whole way through. Yep, I am interested in going back and seeing his other work. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna pivot for our next film, which uh, is a director who is not only is he not new, he has already retired, <laughs> and then had a whole other career's worth of movies post retirement. Steven Soderbergh's Let Them All Talk hit Netflix in December or hit HBO Max in December. Um, Perry, why don't you kick us off with this one? This is the newest film from Steven Soderbergh. It stars Meryl Streep, Diane Weiss, and Candace Bergen. Meryl Streep plays a a, a very literary author uh, uh, who, at the as we find out at the opening of the film, has been awarded some sort of high European literary prize. I can't remember the name of it. I'm pretty sure it's completely made up. Uh, and she is being encouraged by her, uh, her book agent to go attend it because uh, the book agent, who is very ambitious on her own, is very much hoping that she will uh, – she's been hinting at a new book that may be a sequel to the book that made her super famous. Uh, and the, uh, the, the publishing house really would like that book. Uh, and uh, Meryl Streep's character doesn't want to go, and so based because she doesn't like to fly, she never flies. And the they they basically agree to pay for her and two friends to hop on uh, aboard the QE2, the luxury liner that travels across the Atlantic, so that she can do this. 
Uh, and so she calls up her two best friends from college, played by Diane Weist and Candace Bergen, invites them to come along on this trip. Uh, the backstory is that the book that made Meryl Streep super Streep's character super famous, uh, Candace Bergen believes that it was basically her story. That Meryl Streep basically took the, the the life that Candace Bergen had led to that point and got really famous and rich out of that book, and Candace Bergen got nothing. Uh, throw onto the boat Lucas Haas as Meryl Streep's nephew and sort of minder. He's there just sort of to take care of her day-to-day needs. Uh, Lucas Hedges, I should say. I think I said Lucas Haas. I mean Lucas Hedges. Uh, and And that's what you got. And like we were saying before... This is about watching behavior. They did this. Uh, they did this improv style. There was no written dialogue. Every scene is uh, structured, but completely improvised dialogue. Why? It shows. <laughs> it shows. It also shows that these are not uh, these are not trained improv comedians, <laughs> like the Chris Guest crew are. There is a lot of ums and broken off sentences and yep. stammers, and not. And to be fair, not in a way that feels like they don't know what to say. It feels it's it's a it's you know it's an almost uber naturalistic dialogue in that sense. Uh, but it is noticeable <laughs> how often that happens. Um, and basically, what the film you know what you are waiting for is when will the giant blow up happen between Candace Bergen and Meryl Streep because you keep waiting for it and they they hint that it's maybe going to happen and they keep laying it off and then. Uh, what you're watching is uh, one of the, you know, Soderbergh does nothing if thinks deeper every single time out. And this film is about the reaction to art, right? That seems to be the center of every scene to me in this. It is how do you respond to a narrative work, especially if you feel very close to it, uh, whether as a fan or whether you think it's about you or as a as a artist, uh, and that plays out through and through every scene in the movie. Even if you're the agent who just wants to sell the book, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's uh, I, I think that's a topic that is of great interest to Mr. Soderbergh. Uh, and yeah, you know, we talked about if we ding a Netflix film. Hell, his last film was at Netflix. I really liked it. This one's at HBO Max. He's been trying to figure out how to play this game <laughs> in this new world. I I hope he's. I hope he's found some peace and joy in figuring out how to do it because I want to watch everything the man does. I signed up for HBO Max because this movie debuted there. I'll confess that right up top. Uh, I didn't even know it was coming to HBO Max until like a week before it released. Um, and I didn't even think of watching it until you brought it up for this, that you had seen it. And I was like, oh, why didn't I watch that? Um, it, it's It feels at times like a... You know, he's not going to make some grand statement. This isn't a big, overly ambitious film. It's it's kind of a piffle. But I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean, I'm not going to begrudge him if he wants to get on the QE2 and hang out with Meryl Streep and Diane Weist and Candace Bergen. Um, it I, I liked this. Like, I liked its smallness. I liked the fact that it's light and it's... You know, it's a movie that, like you said, it, it has a lot on its mind. There is a lot of discussion, like you say, about yeah. art, about, you know, kind of highbrow art versus lowbrow art, which, you know, I know Soderbergh has vacillated between in a lot of his mm-hmm. career. Do, do you write the blockbuster? Do you write the, the personal piece? 
Meryl Streep has navigated that. Like, what I found most interesting is when Meryl Streep's character is talking about these issues, about, you know, the type of writer she is, the type of fiction she gravitates toward. I couldn't tell, because I knew this had been largely improvised. Is this Meryl Streep wanting to say this, or is this Soderbergh? (laughs) And I didn't really care. I'm like, both these people have a perspective on this that I would be fascinated to hear, and I loved hearing them talk about it. Uh, it, it it's it's really good, and I think Candace Bergen is the one who surprised me, just because you don't see Candace Bergen in a ton of things lately. But I, f- I think she has the most interesting character and the most like interesting arc in the whole movie. Her her character and her resentment toward Meryl Streep's character and what she's doing with her life and what she's hoping out of this trip, and it never overplays it. It lets the characters bounce off or you know tease up to a conflict like you said and yet it all feels very natural um yeah it just it felt like a hangout movie and i mean that in the best way um i love movies where people just sit and talk and that is what most of this movie is uh and i think streep is perfect for this too like she is an actress i don't know if we've talked about her a lot on this podcast i don't think we've ever focused on one of her movies um she is an actress who there are times when she can strike me the wrong way because I can see her capital A acting through the performance. And that's not that's not often, but it happens. And yet I feel like that is a part of this character who does not fit in with her friends. She's isolated from them. She thinks differently from them. And she's always got to put on some sort of performance to fit in with them, to, to be seen as this writer who has it all together. Um, yeah, I really like her in this. And it's the I I I yeah I, I love her always. But but I will say that I think that that leads into actually my favorite performance in the film is Lucas Hedges, and oh, I think a so lot good. of that has to do with the fact that he is the one character where she does not that she ever completely lets down her guard, mm-hmm. but Streep's character does let down her guard most around him, and they have a bunch of. You know, these wonderful one-on-one scenes over, like, breakfast as she's mapping out her day for him. Uh, And they talk about much more than just that in these scenes. That's really great. He's a a really good actor um, who has not – who has had the misfortune of being in some – a lot of scripts that I think were supposed to showcase him that were actually beneath his skills. (laughs) Yes, I would agree with that. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you – Russell Crowe movie. <laughs> I forget the name of that. It wasn't Beautiful Boy because Beautiful Boy was the one with Steve Carell. Beautiful and... Boy was Steve Carell. Um, he was in. You know the movie I'm thinking of, and I'm completely, I'm completely unable to pull the title. Was it the Boy Erased? Was... Boy Erased. Yeah. 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 I'm like, oh, that was obviously a showcase for you, and you're better than the material. Uh, but he has been fantastic in Manchester by the Sea. He was mm-hmm. superb in mid '90s which is a film I really liked Jonah Hill's directorial debut a couple years ago. It's a really good first film. Uh, anyway, it was fun to watch him and street uh, play together. And it's fun to watch everybody in this cast play yeah. with each other. That's why it's worth watching. And I will tell you the other thing that, um, and this is a very specific cultural moment. Um, this was filmed over the course of 2019. Like they, they really did get on the QE two and they filmed on the QE two. Um, and it is weird watching it in December of 2020 uh, because there is a pallor of death 
over <laughs> all of it to watch people on a cruise ship. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> when it's, we it's... know this film very specifically takes place in the fall of 2019. They said mm-hmm. that's, that's where it opens. And I think the, I think the terminology is quite specific. <laughs> Not fall of 2019, but in the fall of 2019. Um, that really smartly capitalizes on our, on our cultural and historical moment. And in a really, in a way that I don't think is, you know, obtrusive and awful and, and feels icky or any way. I just think it feels like, Oh yeah, that is that, that, that leads to the element of not knowing what life is going to bring, which is at the center of what these characters, what, what not Streep's character, the other two female characters are, are experiencing at this moment in their lives. It's really good. Yeah, I, I really like Diane Weist in this too because she oh, yeah. she seems to be the one who kind of fades to the background the most. Um, it I, like it's Streep and Bergen who are kind of the ones you're waiting to see go head to head. But yeah. what I like this Diane Weist kind of plays the you know the the referee between them the you know the the kind of voice of gentle reason. But every once in a while she will just let slip out some some note about <laughs> yes. her her past, and you're just like oh. And it just it gives that character some shading, and then where she ends up at the end, I was like, "That's just that's just a nice that more of an ending than I thought this character would get." And yep. I like that. And um, you bring up Lucas Hedges, I think him and Jenna Chan have fantastic. A, oh, they they just have a really sweet little relationship that does culminate in one of those one of those scenes where you just watch through fingers, um, like just one of those romantically awkward scenes yes. where you just where it where it's sold not just for the awkwardness but for how your heart breaks for one of them when, mm-hmm. when it happens and it's that's really solid um i love watching these these late soderberg movies um just because i feel like he's one of the few people who shoots on digital lets you know it's being shot on digital and it looks beautiful um i i saw someone say they thought this was his most like the film where he got out of the way the most, like he, you couldn't tell this is a Soderbergh film, and I'm like, no, you, you can tell this is a Soderbergh film. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it's got there. There's a certain coolness to the look of it that that I can always identify with him. And there's that soft little jazzy soundtrack that goes through it that I just I always love when he does. Um, he he's really making interesting movies, and what I like is this also feels like him wrestling with what kind of stories he wants to tell, like. There, there's a lot of talk about the difference between a potboiler mystery novel and just a novel that flows and lets the characters do what they're going to do. And mm-hmm. some people are drawn to that. He apparently is drawn to that, especially with this movie. That's kind of what this is. Um, I will say this is another one where I don't feel like the last 20 minutes work for me. Um, th- there, there's there's something that happens that uh, it, it doesn't work for me. It, it I don't feel the movie's earned it at that point. And I can feel the moment that switches because there's a stylistic twist that they do for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And at that point I'm like, Oh, I, I, I don't know what to do with the movie now, but I, it, it's not what I, it's not what I was enjoying up to that moment. And I don't feel it sold where it wanted to go for me, but I'm not going to spoil that on the podcast. <laughs> I was real good with it. Okay. I, I, didn't, I did not expect it, but it made total sense to me. I'm like, oh, oh, all right. That's what you're doing. I, I, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was fine with it. I, I was, I, I'm okay with it. 
Now, I will say it does set up another character to have an ending where I thought was, yep, that's perfect. That's right. That's what I want for that that character. So I think it might – again, it's it's one of those things like with Promising Young Woman. There is – it's not even so much that I dislike the direction the movie took. It's just something in, in that moment took me out of it and didn't work for me. And I can't even put my fingers on what it was. Um but it was like, oh, that's that's what that is. It kind of turns into something else, and then it it hits a moment where I'm like, oh yeah, but that's that's kind of what I wanted for that character. So I would be curious if it's because um, both movies sort of, you know, they they build to the promise of this thing, and then they take that thing away from you, and that thing does not happen, and that's a really that is a tough thing to do to an audience, and it doesn't always work. You, you need to be on pretty strong footing to do that. And I would say that I think this movie is on uh, this movie is on stronger footing than than Promising Young Woman is in doing that to the audience. But I, I, I think they both work. Yeah, I, I can actually with Promising Young Woman, I can pinpoint it to a shot that didn't work for me with this. It was more and it wasn't so much that it, it took that what I expected away. It was just more. I feel like I'm supposed to feel a certain something about this, and I don't feel that. And I don't, you know, it, it doesn't ruin the movie for me. It doesn't, you know, take away the enjoyment I had. It's just like, yeah, I don't think it connected with me the way they thought that was going to. But again, that's me too. And Interesting. Um, Interesting. I, I, I do want to bring up, before I, ca- I record this upstairs at our house, and uh, usually when we record, my wife will watch a movie with the kids downstairs. So um, I was heading on up to record this, and they had Disney Plus on. They're watching a movie. My wife decided to watch the uh, the Parent Trap, the Lindsay Lohan one with okay. them. Uh, so I'm kind of walking upstairs as the first shots of the movie are coming on. First shot of that movie, the QE2. Yeah, there you go. So I, I have no idea the context. Um, I don't know. I don't think Meryl Streep was on that. But, uh, you know, um, <laughs> a, a nice little piece of kismet. So I yeah. do not want to see Steve, Steven Soderbergh's Parent Trap. Uh, that is no interest to me. I do not want to watch that. So I, I am really excited to see what he does. Um, he has two new projects coming up. The first is he is the producers of this year's Oscars, which might happen. Um, <laughs> it might. And I'm curious because Soderbergh is good at bringing things in under two hours. So, you know, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited because I do feel like this. We've talked about this before. Like this year's Oscars could be a really good chance to uh, recognize some really special really small films that would normally get kind of passed over. And I think he'd be good at that. I, I, there's something that feels right about him being involved in the Oscars that might recognize those more, even though he has no control over what's picked. Um, but he also just in pandemic finished shooting no sudden move in Detroit. And, Oh, that's right. And I am really bummed because he shot this a block away from my office. Like if I had actually been working at my office the last 10 months, I would have been <laughs> a block away from Steven Soderbergh shooting this movie with um, John Hamm and Benicio del Toro and Ray Liotta and Don Cheadle. And I, I would have, I know some people who got to, uh, got to be alongside him for that. And he, he was really, I guess, great to work with in the community and everything. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really excited to see that. I I loved the last time he went to Detroit. So yeah, I was just gonna say he is he is his he's one for one when shooting in Detroit. Yeah, so that'll that'll be interesting to see. I've loved this kind of retirement phase of his, even though I've seen very few of the movies he's done. The one I, one you know in this phase, 
I've enjoyed all of them. Oh, I really all liked. Uh, I quite liked the laundromat. The laundromat was nice and angry, and <laughs> and uh, worth seeing. It's it's where you can see where uh, you can see how he bonded very quickly with Miss Streep. It, it it was no surprise that uh, when I heard that they were they then set off to make this movie together after watching her work in the laundromat. Uh, yeah, he, he, you know he he tried just before just before Amazon and streaming took over. He had a couple of really little films that barely got released uh, that were these real genre workouts, and then uh, he tried with Logan Lucky to figure out how to how to market the film all on his own, and realized. I don't know how to do this. The studios were right. I don't know how to get people to see a movie. <laughs> and that's been sitting on Amazon. And then he went to Netflix and now he's at HBO Max. And I, I still have never seen a second of the Nick. I would love to his series for Cinemax. I, I, I would love to see it. It's the one Soderbergh thing I have not seen. I've seen Bubble. I have seen uh, Full Frontal. I've seen the good German. Nobody wow. sees the good German. Chris. No one has. That is a movie I, that does not exist. I saw it in the theater, Chris. Nobody wow. saw this movie. <laughs> well, and George Clooney was in it, and nobody saw it. That's that's actually fairly common with George Clooney movies these days. Sadly, um, <laughs> these days this was fifteen years ago. Yeah, that's true. Wasn't that Matt Damon too? Oh yes. Wow. No, no it's uh, Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire. Okay, yeah. And Kate Blanchett. And wow, guess what? Wow. It's good. It's totally uncommercial. <laughs> um, it's not what you think it is, but it's fascinating to watch. Uh, Soderbergh was also an executive producer this year on Bill and Ted Face the Music. Oh, all right. <laughs> Which, again, <laughs> I will put a plug out. Better than you think. Um <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's funny. I was when the whole HBO Max stuff came out a few months ago, uh, I was invited on another podcast to talk to them about, you know, has this happened? I, you know, we're, we're seeing this shift. Movies are going right to streaming. And I'm like, well, yeah, but this has been happening for a while. And Steven Soderbergh was one of the first people to try and figure out how do you make this work? Like, how do you do day and date on 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 demand and in a theater and on DVD, like he was doing that with Bubble twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and he's been at the forefront of that, and he's navigated it very well. Um, and the only other thing I want to say about um, Let Them All Talk is there are a lot of movies where you can tell, like the director just wanted to hang out with the actors, and it sits there. You're watching their vacation video, right? Like Adam Sandler has made a cottage industry on this as an yes. actor who wants to hang out with his friends. This is a movie, though, that, yeah, it is, you know, it, it's a movie that he got to film on the QE2. I'm not going to, you know, say he was suffering. But it is a movie with things to say, which is nice. Like, you don't always expect that when it's something like that. And Oh, they were working. Yeah, it, it's it's a movie that has things to say. And it does, like you said, about art. But there's also about how friendships change over the years, I thought. I thought the way the dynamics of those the three women have changed over the years as one of them kind of tasted fame, uh, it, it was really fascinating to watch and think about that. I think Gemma Chan, um, she she's a you know a, a smaller role in this, but I think her character packs a whole movie's worth of story into that character. Yes, um, it's it's one of the nicer uh, it's one of the, it's one of the nicer formulations of a uh, of a corporate suit in the arts. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if Soderbergh would have would have presented that character exactly the same way had he not gone through it. He went through with Logan Lucky. Well, and there's also a way with this material and talking about highbrow and lowbrow art that it comes off a bit. It could come off a bit snobby. And what I loved was there is a character in this movie, and I forget who the actor is, um, but he plays a best-selling mystery novelist. Yes. And it would be very tempting to make him the butt of the jokes or the one who represents, you know, selling out and commerce and everything. And where his character ends up going and who he is, I thought was a nice little balance to the, you know, the appreciation of more... You know, for lack of a better word, highbrow literature. He he's not a villain, and he's a very interesting character. And Meryl Streep's relationship with him, and where where the you know the friendship they have, or the interest she has in him, I, I thought that was a nice balance, and you know, a way for you know whether it was Soderbergh or Streep to work out. Yeah, it doesn't have to be pitted against. It's different different tastes. You you gravitate toward different modes of doing this. Yeah, there's nothing black and white about any of these characters. And yeah. that's another very Soderbergh touch. Yeah. Yeah. So these are all three movies I think we would recommend to some degree. Um, sounds like two of them pretty strongly. One of them were a little more, you're a little higher on than I am. But uh, you can see them all now. You can see Promising Young Woman on demand. You can rent that, I believe. Uh, Pieces of a Woman is on Netflix. Let Them All Talk is on HBO Max. Perry, did I leave anything else out about this? I think we have covered them well, Chris. I think we have. Perry, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Perry Loves Film on Facebook. You can hear me every Friday morning on the Lucy and Lance Show on 1290 AM in Ann Arbor. And this Friday, you can hear me on the Cathode Ray Mission podcast, where we are taking a deep dive into uh, to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the uh, Broadway production of uh angels in america we are doing a, oh. a deep dive through mike nichols adaptation of that done many many years ago for hbo looking nice. forward to that one very nice look forward to hearing that uh you can find me at criticisms.substack.com that is the newsletter i put out every week i'll put a link in the show notes uh Mostly it's about TV, film, um, pop culture. Occasionally, uh, you know, it's it jumped into politics, but I'm hoping the times to do that are kind of fading. So uh, if you want to hear my thoughts about movie and TV, that's really where to find me, um, aside from here. Um, and then I do another podcast called Cross Culture Critic. It's kind of a pop culture and faith-related show that comes out monthly, but I think we just put an episode out last week, so there's something new out there for you. We will be back in two weeks. Perry, I'll see so. you then. <laughs> I look forward to it.